the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. That's 804. The following program is sponsored Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. According to Micah chapter 6, God loves the man who shows mercy and lives justly. And so may we reflect on the cries of those across this land of ours who are being oppressed, overlooked, the victims of crime and callousness. Welcome to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. I don't need to tell you that life is hard, but our sorrows can be lessened and our joy increased when we live in the company of others because it's God's loving design for men and women to live in community. Yet so many people find themselves living isolated and alone when a friend may be just a few steps away. Today's message is the first part of a study in Ecclesiastes titled, Only the Lonely. Here's Philip to get us started. The Beatles and Elvis sang about it. One in four people suffer from it. Millions every year telephone the Samaritans as a result of it. Thousands every week write to agony ants because of it. It knows no boundaries in terms of age, sex, social standing. The problem of which I speak is loneliness, a sense of disconnection. That melancholic mood of feeling unwanted, overlooked, underappreciated. That sad state of being alone with no real companion with whom to multiply your joys and divide your sorrows. I think we sympathize with the spinster who told her friends that at her funeral there were to be no male pallbearers. And when they asked why, she said, well, no man took me out in this life and no man will carry me out. (laughs) Loneliness is an ancient and universal problem. And the fact is that two is better than one. Always has been, always will be. In case you haven't noticed, life is a team sport. We excel physically. We do better emotionally intellectually, spiritually, in the company of others. The person who says they don't need anybody has a fool for a friend and an idiot for a teacher. No, the empirical data and the biblical record teach us that loneliness is both unholy and unhealthy. I say unholy because it works against God's better judgment and God's loving design and desire for us. You see, you and I are made by God. 
Therefore, we ought to listen to God. And back in Genesis 2, verse 18, what do we read? God states this very fact at the very beginning of creation. It is not good that man should be alone. You see, you and I are made in the image of God. God exists in community. He's a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Therefore, God has put his stamp on us, and you and I excel in the company of others. We innately crave and we require companionship. That's why loneliness is unholy, and loneliness is unhealthy. The results are in. Isolation is a killer. Isolation either forced upon us or chosen by us puts life into reverse, for it has us going against God's created order and what's best for us. It's not good that man should be alone. And so when we're alone, either because it's forced on us or we choose that for ourselves, we're putting life into reverse. Loneliness is both unholy and unhealthy. Listen to these words by Philip Zimbardo of Stanford University, a well-known psychologist. Quote, there is no more destructive influence on physical and mental health than the isolation of you from me and us from them. In fact, he goes on to point out that loneliness is a central agent in depression, paranoia, schizophrenia, rape, suicide, murder, and a wide variety of diseases. No, loneliness is unholy, and loneliness is unhealthy. And so as we return to Ecclesiastes, we shouldn't be surprised in finding that Solomon would address this issue. In fact, in chapter 4 here, he wrestles with it. A sense of estrangement pervades the whole chapter. You see, Solomon's going to argue that one of the vanities of life is that this world can prove to be a very cold and a very friendless and a very lonely place. In fact, his own father had experienced that back in Psalm 142 and verse 4. What does King David say? I looked on my right hand to see, and there was no one who acknowledged me. Refuge had failed me. No one cared for my soul. Sometimes life can be like that. In fact, if you work your way down this passage, you'll see that it begins with Solomon talking about the oppressed and the fact that there's no one to take up their case in verses 1 through 3. In verses 7 through 8, he talks about this friendless workaholic who never leaves the office. And over a lifetime, they acquire and amass riches But since they have no friends and they have no family, Solomon raises the question, for whom do they work and for what do they work? Such toil is a chasing of the wind. The friendless workaholic, the oppressed. And then in verses 13 through 16, Solomon talks about the passing glory of a king who has been turfed out on their ear because the population has fallen in love with this young upstart. Who's the flavor of the month? The old king is left without an audience, without an adoring population. Loneliness is an ancient universal problem. And so you're going to see four causes for loneliness and two cures for loneliness. Now we're going to make a start at looking at the four causes that Solomon identifies 
we're going to see that sometimes loneliness is caused by cruelty, at other times by covetousness, circumstances, and crowning. Let's begin in verses 1 through 3. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun, and looked the tears of the oppressed, but they had no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore I praised the dead. In these opening verses of this chapter, Solomon draws our attention to the sad, sorry sight and plight of the man, the woman, the child who has been abandoned by Lady Justice to the cruel oppression of the weak by the strong, the poor by the rich, the righteous by the godless. In this text, the power of the oppressor is set in contrast to the abandonment and tears of the oppressed. In fact, the phrase, power is on the side of their oppressors, is literally, and from the hand of their oppressors is power. It's an acknowledgement not only of the act of oppression, but the unrestrained freedom that the oppressor has to commit those acts of oppression. And so Solomon takes up this lamentation on the behalf of the victims of injustice, the casualties of corruption. He cries out for help. He cries out on their behalf because no one else seems to cry out on their behalf. They are on the wrong end of irresistible power and authority. They are oppressed, helpless, lonely. They have no comforter. That's the first picture. It's the picture of loneliness caused by cruelty. And it's a real picture. And we could give example after example in our world of cruel fathers, merciless leaders, greedy businessmen, lawless judges, heartless tyrants that have made victims out of so many. And those victims' sadness has gone unrequited. And so Solomon is moved. He's moved, number one, to protest, and he's moved, number two, to praise. He's moved, first of all, to protest. He takes up this lament. He's acknowledging the stated oppression that occurs around the world, the cruelty and the evil work of the few over the many. He brings to our attention the fact that this is another evidence of life's vanity. Life stinks because the wrong people suffer. And justice is never served. And evil workers and evil work seem to have their day. Stepping back from the text, the emotion and disgust of Solomon isn't surprising, is it? Given that the Old Testament emphasizes again and again need for compassion towards the oppressed. The God of Israel is a God of justice, a God of compassion. Therefore, we're not surprised to read in Leviticus 19 verse 13, Do not defraud your neighbor or rob him. Do not hold back the wages of a hired man. Zephaniah 7 verse 10, Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Proverbs 14.31, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Solomon takes up that great tradition within Judaism of crying out on behalf of the weak, on behalf of those who are oppressed. You see, the Israelite, above all people, ought to be a moral crusader. 
in the fight against exploitation, violence, and injustice. Why? Because you read about it in the Pentateuch, that God often reminds them that they were once slaves in Egypt, that they were once victims of oppression 400 long years until God with an outstretched hand redeemed them and rescued them. And above all people, the Israelite ought to love justice and show mercy. And so Solomon picks up that mantle and up picks up that message here. And in the face of this oppression, in the face of the fact that those who are being oppressed have no one to take up their cause, he protests. By the way, a little footnote then, should that not be a challenge to us? Is our rescue <laughs> no less than the redemption of Israel? If Is it not greater to be found free from the tyranny and oppression of sin through the blood of Jesus Christ? If anyone ought to love mercy and justice, it ought to be those who have found it in Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus encourages us to minister to those in need. The man in need that we come across is our neighbor. If you properly understand the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10, verse 25, the Christian ought to be on the front lines of the battle against poor working conditions, sweatshops all across this world, failing schools, sex trafficking, child abuse, terrorism, genocide, street children in South America. Those are the things that ought to provoke the compassion and the concern of the Christian. We are great commission and great commandment people. We are to seek to win people's freedom in Christ from the slavery of sin, but alongside that, we want to alleviate their suffering in this life. We want to give them a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, don't we? Matthew chapter 25. And so may we reflect on the cries of those across this world and across this land of ours who are being oppressed, overlooked, the victims of crime and callousness. Our hearts ought to go out to them. Our hands ought to reach towards them. Because according to Micah chapter 6, God loves what? He loves the man who shows mercy and lives justly. Are we not challenged by the last public words of William Booth, aged 82, almost blind, the founder of the Salvation Army? He spoke to an audience of 10,000 in Royal Albert Hall in London. Here's what he said, while women weep as they do now, I'll fight. While children go hungry as they do now, I'll fight. When men go to prison in and out, I'll fight. While there is a drunkard left, I'll fight. While there is a poor girl left on the streets, I'll fight. While there remains one dark soul without the light of the gospel, I'll fight. I'll fight. I'll fight to the very end. May his tribe increase because there's a lot of lonely people in this world, lacerated, wounded, sitting in darkness and deprivation. And we must bring the light and the hope and the mercy of God to them. May we raise our protest. May we, like Solomon, Look at the tears of the oppressed and the fact that they have no comfort and point them to the God of all comfort. But he not only protests, he praises. After protest comes praise. Look at verse 2. Therefore I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive. 
That catches your attention, doesn't it? Solomon praises the dead. Given the oppression and the cruelty of this world, Solomon congratulates those who have passed on. Life can be so disheartening that Solomon acknowledges that there are times when death seems preferable to life and non-existence to existence. In fact, you can go outside the context of this chapter, read the story of Job, read the story of Jeremiah. Both of them struggled to the point where they actually cursed the day they were born. It's raw stuff, isn't it? Now, let me say one thing. These verses are not a justification for suicide to any degree. That's not the remedy that Solomon's talking about here when he says, I praise the dead who are already dead more than the living who are still alive, better than both as he who has never existed. As one writer, James Lindbergh, has said, the teacher is not counseling suicide as a solution to the problems of those hurting people. He is not speaking of death in the future at all, but is referring to the situation of those who have already passed on. He's simply acknowledging, you know what? I envy those who are already dead. He's not advocating the premature taking or the lawless taking of our own lives. But there is this uh, raw reality here. When you're on the wrong end of life's injustices, and you face the cruelty of a tyrant or an abusive father or a crime boss or a merciless terrorist, you might get to a place in life where you envy the dead. That's real, isn't it? That's raw, isn't it? Just this week, I was reading about an Australian woman, Alexia Harrington. She's aged 24. She's deaf, blind, physically and mentally disabled, and she's seeking to sue the doctor who allowed her to be born. Her mother said that if she had known the extent of her daughter's disability, she would have had an abortion. Now, while I hate abortion with every bone in my body, and while I disagree totally with this intended lawsuit, I stepped back from the story, and I at least tried to sympathize with the mother and daughter and the struggle and the questions. Sometimes life has us envying the dead and the unborn. Sometimes we wonder, do we not, about bringing children into this cruel, wicked world. Now, if that causes you to bristle and you're shocked by these verses and even my comments about these verses, I would suggest to you that you haven't lived very long. You haven't gone to war. You haven't visited Africa. This can be an awfully cruel world, an awfully lonely world. Can you imagine a child somewhere tonight in America hiding from its father because of abuse, sexual or physical? Can you imagine the pot belly of thousands across Africa hungering for food? No wonder could God seem to go unanswered. They're looking to their government, seems to go unheard. Oh, Solomon acknowledges that there is loneliness in this world, loneliness caused by cruelty. Secondly, in verses 4 through 6, he acknowledges that there's loneliness caused by covetousness. 
Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. In this second observation, Koheleth moves from the harm inflicted by tyrants to the harm inflicted on ourselves through competitiveness and covetousness. The operative word there is envy, rivalry among neighbors. You see, the desire to excel, to have your two hands full of stuff, taken to an extreme, can produce another more subtle form of loneliness. Loneliness that comes through savage selfishness. Viewing people as pawns to be sacrificed in your achieving of your goals. Working to set oneself apart from others can produce pride on the part of the achiever and trigger envy on the part of those who are on the wrong end of their covetousness and competitiveness. And so Solomon is actually taking up again the theme of loneliness here. A loneliness that comes through carnal covetousness, through carnal competitiveness, which causes strained relationships that make us unable to trust one another, that causes us to love ourselves and not our neighbor. Now, let me say this by way of qualification. This is not a smackdown on all desire to excel or to compete. This is a criticism of that drive that's driven by envy, by rivalry. God did not create man to be passive. God called us to be productive, creative. He calls us to excel. Back in Genesis 1.28, what are we told? To subdue the earth, to multiply. The idea of being competitive and productive and excelling, it's not an unbiblical idea. In fact, Paul acknowledges that, doesn't he? And he applies it to the spiritual life. In 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 following, he says, hey, when you run the race, you run to win. Everybody's competing for the one prize. Same as me, I'm after Christ, and I'm going to run so as to win. Remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 47, he talks about, hey, if you love those that love you, then he says, what do you more than others? Jesus is acknowledging, I want more than that. I want you to excel. I want you to go beyond the status quo. And so challenging the status quo is a good thing. We're thankful for those who have broken through boundaries in fields of education and technology and in fields of industry. But it must be harnessed to a desire to reflect the glory of God. An inspiring introduction to our study in Ecclesiastes titled, only the lonely. This is Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Every day on Know the Truth, we deliver clear expository Bible teaching on the radio, the web, and the KTT app. Listen to our daily broadcasts or explore a past series. Pastor Philip has taught on a wide variety of topics over the years, and every message is archived at ktt.org. Now, today's message reminds us that Jesus is our greatest friend and our most important relationship. But Philip's friend, Pastor J.D. Greer, rightly cautions us against making Jesus just our friend. In his book, Not God Enough, J.D. reminds us that when we bring God down to our size, he's no longer big enough to be worshipped. And today, we're offering you a copy of Not God Enough. Make a generous donation to Know the Truth, and we'll send this best-selling book to you today. 
Know the Truth is only available on the radio and the web because of the faithful giving of listeners like you. Every dollar you give goes directly towards bringing Phillips' messages to men and women in your city and all across the country. Help God's Word reach hearts that are hungry to know the truth. Give when you call 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org or write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. And when you give, don't forget to request J.D. Greer's book, Not God Enough. Now, if you're new to Know the Truth, we'd also like to send you an entirely free resource. It's the message titled, Why Does God Allow Us to Suffer? Philip isn't skirting the tough issues surrounding this topic, but he's pointing us to the God of all comfort, Jesus Christ. Request this free CD message online at ktt.org. I'm Wayne Shepherd, wishing you a wonderful weekend. Join us next week as we continue our study in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's Monday on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. witnesses angels at a dangerous car crash. A man is healed on his deathbed and given another chance to live. Two Christian pastors perform an exorcism on a psychic possessed by demons. A man thought his baby died until the impossible happened. These miracles are true and are chronicled in the first book of a new series, When God Happens, True Stories of Modern Day Miracles. When God Happens is compiled and edited by best-selling authors Angela Hunt and Bill Myers. Hunt and Myers came together to remind Christians God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not turned his back on us or left us to our own devices. If you have an exciting miracle you'd like to see shared in the next edition of When God Happens, visit the website at whengodhappens.com. Get your copy now of best-selling authors Angela Hunt and Bill Myers' miraculous new book, When God Happens, True Stories of Modern-Day Miracles. Available now at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. Pastors, church... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.